Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Lloyd Newcastle Mini and BMW. For the latest offers and to browse their used car stock, go to LloydMotorGroup.com. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. This is the second episode of Gibbo's Corner. It's John Gibson, who's worked for Chronicle Life for nearly on more than 50 years, isn't it, Gibbo? More than 50 years now. Uh, the last one we talked about, the legend, who was Jackie Milburn, a good friend of mm-hmm. John's and a, obviously one of the best Newcastle United players ever. Today we talk about another good friend, another Newcastle United legend, Paul Gascoigne. Wonderful player. Born Dunstan, 1967. Yep. And was one of the best players the world has ever seen, let alone Tyson. Oh, not just Newcastle United, by any means. The Gazamania in Italia 90, when he came back having played for Bobby Robson in uh, in the World Cup and they got to the semi-final, which, by the way, is the best England World Cup performance on foreign soil outside of this country when they won it in 66. And it was all about two people we loved to death. It was all about Bobby Robson who managed England and Gaza who made England. And the Gaza mania in this country when he returned from Italian he was phenomenal. He was like one of the Beatles. Um, he really was. Uh, for a while, he was a pop star. Um, and it's because of the ability and the personality. I mean, everyone remembers... The, the tears and Gary Lineker turning towards Absolutely. the Absolutely. We'll get on to Italian uh, Yeah. Later on, but I just want to start at the beginning. Um, you know, a journey at heart, a young man who supported Newcastle United, a cheeky chap, yeah. working for the Chronicle. Well, when was the first time you you heard about this this lad called Paul Gascoigne? Well, every, well, the funny thing is, the first time I met Paul Gascoigne, not having heard about him, um, I used to do a lot of uh, uh, presentations of trophies to uh, boys clubs. Um, and Radio Boys Club said, will you come along at this one at Dunstan and present the trophies to the under-12s, under-13s, under-14s, and of course, they come on a long line, you shake hands with them, give them a trophy, and off they go. They're just, they're just on a conveyor belt. Did it come away, forgot all about it. Years later, when I got when I got to know Gaza, um, he come on this night and said, look at this, Gibber, and he'd give us a photograph, and it was of... Paul, this little cheeky kid, 12, whatever age he was, shaking hands with me, handing him a trophy. He had been in this long line, his mum had taken the photograph from the audience, as mums do. Then he was just another little porky kid getting a, a trophy from me. Um, I mean, I was embarrassed by the photograph because I had uh, white slip-on shoes and a pink shirt with jeans. So, I mean, I, I sort of hid the photograph away, treasured it, put it away. He gave me a copy of it. Um, but that was Little Gaza, and that's the first time I met him without knowing I'd met, I was meeting him. I got to know him really initially as a bright kid because being a Newcastle fan as well as a Newcastle United reporter, I was very interested in what was coming up through through the youth teams. Mm-hmm. And um, Newcastle had this great youth cup run, um, 
They initially won the Youth Cup with Bob Moncur way back in the days and then had their second cup one where they got to the final against Watford. And Gaza was very much part of that side and very much the emerging talent, chiggy chappy type guy. Um, and in the final they played Watford, Watford held them up here, no, not. They went down to Watford for the second leg and massacred them 4-1. Gascoigne scored two, Joe Allen the centre forward got the other two, but Gascoigne got two, ran the show. And the cheeky little chappy that he was afterwards in the Newcastle dressing room uh, celebrating with the cup, door opens, Watford chairman comes in and says, congratulations, I did it, absolutely fine, you were wonderful, you deserved to win. And Gaza at the back of the pile of players chirped up, gives a song out, and it was Elton John, of course, who was chairman. And, that, and it's, even Elton John sort of laughed in there. But it's far from being overawed by this world superstar rock and roller coming into the dressing room, he's shouting, gives a song out, and the cheekiness of the boy. And I mean, at that stage, Gaza was a porky little guy. I mean, his football talent was there. And mind you, there's been some porky great players. Puskas carried a few, uh, a lot of beef on the hoof. And um, uh, Tommy Cass wasn't, Tommy Cass, he wasn't the, the slimmest. Jan Mulby at Liverpool wasn't the slimmest. But, uh, but, this, but he was porky. And Jack John was the manager, he was a young lad. And he, he had mitts, he was eating mince pies, ice creams, Mars bars, which were his favourites. And Jack got hold of him and said, hey, You've got to cut all that out and lose weight, else I'm going to throw you out of the club. And he was terrified of Jack. Jack then was this eight foot six giraffe that had been in the World Cup side, hard as nails. He didn't open doors, he just walked through the closed door. Uh, and he terrified Gaza. And Gaza lost half a pound in within a, a half a stone, sorry, within a week. Um, and it helped save his career, and he, he blossomed from that. The tragedy for me became, this was at the end of the 80s, Newcastle United were in a wonderful, wonderful situation. They had three young boys called Waddle, Beardsley and Gascoigne. Three Geordie boys, three future England superstars already beginning to play for England. They had them on, within their ranks. They cared about the club because they were Geordies, yet they sold all three for profit and were relegated immediately afterwards. What a surprise. What an eye for the future. What a missed opportunity. Out of those three, who would you say was the best? Three sensational players. Uh, that's got to be said. That is one of the tragedies. We're not talking with respect about half-decent little Geordies that would get a place in the side. We're talking about England superstars. I've always said that Beardsley is the greatest player I've ever seen play for Newcastle. But by Jove, Gaza at his best, which we didn't necessarily see because he'd been sold off. He was Spurs and Lazio and whatever for his best. And Waddle went and played in Marseille and played in the European Champions League, what it is at the final. I mean, dear God, what would he give for, for those three guys? Newcastle, with the current situation of need for strikers and, and need for creative midfielders, and we, we, we treasure Shelby, and quite rightly so, Gaza and, and Waddle uh, making them and Beardsley both making them and taking them. What an opportunity. Missed, relegated, got what we deserved. The management, the owners, the board 
got what they deserved. The fans certainly didn't. So Gaza came off the bench, made his debut against QPR, April 1985. Was was there something there that you saw? Obviously, like you said, you've mentioned the, the youth games, but was there something there when he came off the bench? I think he only had 11 minutes or so. Yeah. Was there anything there which you thought, oh, we well, have got something on our Yes, hands? because sometimes these days, the reason I like Shelby is because he actually passes forward. Yeah, and over distance. And midfield players now, they're like crabs. They go sideways. Mm. They pass sideways. Why? Because they... they, they the stats are being taken, how many completed passes do you make? Well, if I'm standing here and I pass to you there, that's a completed pass. If Shelby tries a 45 yard, it's also a completed pass if it gets there. Um, but I'm not going to win the match by passing to you standing on my shoulder. You're going to win the match by Shelby hitting the front man. These players could do that. And you got Gascoigne when he come in, he tried a trick. He never wanted to play the safe ball unless he was under huge pressure and he just had to give it. But he always wanted to try a trick. Nine times out of ten it come off. He was refreshing and bubbly in your thought. If this guy doesn't get all this knocked out of him by the coaches trying to regiment the side, if he's allowed, this fella is going to be some player. It was there from very early and occasionally it's not. For example, it didn't show so early in Chris Waddle, who, who ran as if he had a set of calls on his back when he was first here. If you look at Beardsley, as a kid, he, he, he was in his late teens before a club would take a chance on him. Oxford turned him down, Cambridge turned him down, I mean, Gillingham turned him down, all to their discredit. But it didn't show as quickly as it showed with Gascoigne. Paul was born to be a star. What do you think was, you, you watch the videos, you see the photos, we all know that the famous Vinnie Jones photograph. Yeah. Um, he just played with a smile on his face. He did, he did. And he lived life with a smile on his face. That, that was the wonderful thing. Yes. He could occasionally get on people's nerves, whether it was the coach, the manager, whether it was his mates or whether it was his family, because he was non-stop practical jokes. And sometimes you thought, give it a rest, guys, I do us all a favour, simmer down. It's like a balloon, you wanted to take the air out of him, you know, so that he, he had five minutes of just being normal. But he could light up, he could make it a sunny day when it was raining, because when you were in his company, because he had tremendous enthusiasm. He was madly in love with the game. Um, I mean, I remember, as a kid at Newcastle, he used to have apprentices in those days who looked after the boots and were delegated the particular star in the clean days, boots, etc., etc. Gaza was designated Kevin Keegan, the player, before Kevin Keegan came back. And it, KK gave him three sets of boots this day and said, look, wear them around the house, take them home, wear them around the house, break them in, you know, so that they, they, they feel more comfortable when they're in Gaza. I thought this was absolutely wonderful, KK, you know, what a player. Took them home and of course he lost a pair of them on the, on the bus between the ground, which was then Benwell, the training ground, and where he lived in Dunstan. Lost a pair and the boots was absolutely the boots on there. He went back to the, the station, the metal bus station, see if somebody handed them in. Hadn't. He was panicked, he, he chickened it, and his dad, John, phoned up Kevin Keegan to say, Paul's lost a pair of boots, so Kevin Keegan said, So what? Well, I didn't like them anyway. But, but that was, 
his enthusiasm. He, he went about with the other two pair boots and showed all his mates these are Kevin Keegan's boots. Yeah, you know I mean he, that was the sort of enthusiasm he had, and it rubbed off on teammates. Um, he was he was called by Bobby Robson after the bush, and there's absolutely no question that he was and is still. I mean he's kept that sense of humour. He's had some horrendously difficult times. Uh, but his basic nature is the same. But in those days, when he was young, bubbly, and super fit and super confident, and there was nothing really to hold him back, he always had that vulnerability. For me, he was the second coming of the clown prince of soccer. The original one was Len Shackleton, who called himself that. Did a book, was a cheeky chap. He produced chapter seven of his autobiography, what directors know about football left the page blank, turned over to the next page, chapter 8. Um, clever stuff. He, Geyser, was the next clown prince of football, only he was a, a clown that always had a tear near the corner of his eye. There was always the vulnerability in Paul. You could hurt him. A lot of great footballers are arrogant because you've got to have that arrogance to be a great footballer. Gaza was arrogant on the pitch. Think of the goal against um, Scotland when he took Henry yeah, out with a flick over there and he was arrogant on the pitch. But he had a vulnerability about him as a person. Um, and I, I mean, I always remember doing a talking with him, with Mirandina. Remember Mirandina, who was the first mm -hmm. Brazilian to play in the Football League in the 100 years? We signed him. Gaza took to Mirror and Mirror took the Gaza. I mean, he, he, Mirror was spoke Spanish and he couldn't speak English, and, but then again, neither could Gaza. He could only speak Jordi. So, um, but, and I went and took them on talkings. I mean, ridiculous when I think about it, because he took Mirror on a talking and he couldn't talk English. But the fans just wanted to meet him and see him on stage, so that he packed the place out. And, and at this stage, Gaza wasn't the world superstar. He was this young player breaking in in Newcastle. When they played together, they, they needed a ball each, but neither would pass. Gaza wanted to play with the ball, and Mirror didn't know how to pass. He just wanted to shoot, so he never passed the ball. Um, but I remember going up to Pontiel, and we did a, we did a show... He was at his exuberant best. He said that he had a goldfish that looked like Mirror because its mouth was always open and looked gormless. And Mirror said he had a dog and he called it Gaza because it was crazy. Um, and he played, there was an organ on stage from when they do shows on the Saturday. And spontaneously, at the end of the show, Gaza went over the organ, flipped the lid, and started playing Great Balls of Fire like Jerry Lee Lewis on the stage. He was a teenager, uh, brought the place down. However, right at the end, one punter got up and said, Paul, I believe you're considering a, a new contract at Newcastle. Why haven't you signed it yet? I love Newcastle. I'm on the dole. I haven't got the job, but the little bit of money I've got, I used to spend to go and watch you lot on a Sunday. I wrapped the show up quickly after Paul's answer. He'd come off the stage. I thought, where is he? Because everybody wanted to meet him uh, behind the scenes. He was in the toilet, I found him in the toilet, and he, he was wiping his face with water and everything. He was crying because he thought that this punter, another Geordie like him, he lived in Dunstan and working, thought he was some big time money Charlie, and he was so hurt and upset by that. I, I actually had to wipe his face down with a paper towel, let's say, and say, come on, don't be sit down. 
get yourself out there and he'd come out bouncing and, and he was fine. But that's how vulnerable he was, that's how hurt he was, thinking another Jolly on the dole would see him as a big time Jolly. Very inquisitive young man. I, mean, I remember my dad telling me a story how he was, my dad was working on some buildings down in Dunstan and this little kid would come up on his bike and be annoying the builders, asking them questions and you see him kicking a ball down the street and it wasn't <laughs> until years later he realised he realised it was Gaza it was Gaza I mean that was what it was he's always had time for anybody or with everybody without a shadow of a doubt I mean one of his biggest enemies as he got more famous you know coming right away through to Italia 90 and beyond is that people would take a lend him um, he was the kindest man I've ever met to the point of being stupid we would often be in a pub having a chat either in there socially or in there to do a gig and as he walked out there'd be an old guy sitting by the door in a cloth cap with a stick having a pint or having a half which is all he had and as he passed him he'd slip a 20 quid in his top pocket and just say have a drink grandpa and whisper it in his ear and just pop in his didn't make a fuss not a song and dance nine tenths of the people in the place would never see it happen but he, he and, and he didn't do it for my sake I wasn't supposed to see it that was the sort of kindness he, 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 he got buses for Radio Boys Club to take the kids many buses to take them all over again he went and got buses on condition that they didn't publicize the come from him because he didn't want to appear to be this looking after his public image if you like he was one of the kindest lads I've ever known the only trouble is that an awful lot of people took advantage of him and especially when he went to play for Spurs and you could get all the showbiz lovies in London leaping after Italia 90 all wanting to be seen with him uh, and you know I'm not blaming them for the alcohol problems Paul went on to had but he was never a bloke to be able to say no and um, you know they come out the blue when you're at the top and they fade away when times get tough these people now just a quick message from our sponsors are you looking for a brand new or used Mini or BMW? Then look no further than Lloyd Newcastle. They have an impressive range of all the latest Mini and BMW models complete with the latest tech to keep you connected, entertained and safe on the roads. Such as the Mini Countryman, Mini's most spacious model, with optional all four four-wheel drive technology or BMW X-Drive, an intelligent all-wheel drive system offering a new dimension to driving enjoyment. With a whole range of optional features available, including head-up display, mini-connected, sat-nav, headed seats, parking sensors, stereo upgrades and more, you can really make your mini or BMW your own. Or if you're looking for a used car to be proud of, they have over 600 approved used vehicles across the Lloyd Group, available with competitive finance packages. For the latest offers and to see their used car stock, visit www.lloydmotorgroup.com or why not just pop in, you can find them off Barrett Road just up from St James's Park. Lloyd Newcastle, the way it should be. Big practical joker though as well, wasn't he? Mm. Oh, he still is, you know. He loved the laugh. You hear the stories of Wally McCoy, the, the Rangers, and I mean, Newcastle is just the same. Oh, totally. He did all sorts of, of, of wacky and, and daft things, and most of the times it creased everybody up. Occasionally, somebody would want to banjo him because he, the only thing with Paul is he was funny but he never knew when to leave the stage. Great comedians know when to, to give the punchline and leave the stage. Paul never wanted to leave the stage. Once the spotlight was on him, whether it was in the pub standing at the bar or whether he was literally on stage, he would just sing and dance till somebody turned the spotlight off. I've heard stories where people have got their own back on Paul again. 
uh, my dad, that, I don't know how true the story is, my dad once told me a story that uh, the guys he was working with were Sunderland fans and they found out whose car was parked out on the street below the building they were working on and they blocked the car in and Gaza came, came to it to try and get the train and realised he wasn't getting the train in that morning unless he ran or caught the bus. <laughs> I imagine his reaction was there. Uh, well, you know. Well, I and also Paul didn't like the run, you know. He liked uh, even on the football field. I mean, he used to like the ball to do the work, not him. Yeah. Uh, and he was quite capable of making that happen. Some people are just boxed about. Terry McDonald's one of the greatest boxer box players I've ever seen, but he was boxer box. He was all about running. He had the right. He, he was built like a greyhound, etc., etc. Paul was built like the Teletubby, um, but he could make the ball talk. Um, but. He could take it as well as as well as give it. I mean, he did the stupidest things, like you know, you a player would be having an interview live on the telly, and he would be upstairs, and he would go upstairs to the upside window and fill two buckets with water and open the window and just uh, and pour them over the guy when the guy's live on telly. It's not a recording. The the guy's live on telly, and then they look up and he's chortling away with the shoulders going. You know, everybody say, "How infantile can it be?" That's how it's. But it was him, and if you didn't laugh at the buckets of water, you laughed at his face when you saw him, because he was blessed with the cheekiest face you could imagine. Did you ever, were you around the end of uh, some of his jokes? Oh, yeah, I mean, you were, you were going to be, you couldn't help it. I mean, um, when I, and I'll mention later on, when I did this uh, Save Gates thing, which um, Paul come to my rescue, Gaza, together with Shiva, two very close friends of mine, I'll talk about that in a minute. But one of the things, when it comes to actually, we'll put on a dinner, I'd put on a dinner fundraiser, and he was the guest speaker. He was the number one speaker. But I mean, I'm up making, so he's sitting next to me on the top table. I'm up making, all night making speeches and talking about the raffle and introducing the celebs and audience. Every time I'm up and they're bringing the meal and everything, he's getting the pepper pot and lifting up my lifting up my beef and putting pepper on it all underneath. And, and of course, he thinks I can't see it. The plate's in front of me and I'm busy talking and I can see it all. He's just like, you're like his dad and he's a naughty little lad and you feel like coming off and slapping his wrist and saying, don't be so bloody daft. But it didn't matter and the audience just fell about laughing. It, it's slapstick. They knew what he was doing, and they knew I knew. But it, it was he was just he was just funny. I mean, when I went and stayed with him in Rome, which we'll get to him. And one of his mates was a just an ordinary lad out the gates. So that was a good mate, wasn't a famous guy. I stayed with him, and in one of the bedrooms and in the middle of the night, guys had come to me and shook me in the middle of the night. Now I woke up. What? What the hell? What do you want? And he said. Give up, come on, mate. So I said, right, so I, I followed him. We went in the room with Charlie's mate. We went in the room with Charlie. He's completely sleeping. And he's got a razor and he shaved off one half of his moustache. One half of his moustache. The other side, he shaved off his sideburns and then did a little piece right down the middle of his head. And did it so gently the kid never woke up. And all we heard, the next morning, all we heard was a squeal when the kid obviously got up and went into the bathroom in front of the mirror to, to have a wash. It, it was silly and wacky. And I said, oh, mate, why, why did you come and get me? Why didn't you do it to me? He said, give off, I'd done it to you. I would never have got a good report in the paper anymore. I'd rather do it to But he couldn't help himself. To him, that was hysterically funny. He was a clown. He wasn't a story 
teller, really. He wasn't the teller of jokes. He was a clown. But he got laughs. He, he had the face to go with it. Uh, it, it. It just was infectious. And back to the football, what would you say his best moments as a Newcastle United player was? Oh, gee, I mean, I, I don't really can pick out matches that I, that I would say were were great. And, and, and I mean, a lot of the wonderful moments, sadly, because Newcastle was stupid enough to sell them, uh, sadly came after he left. Like if you remember the goal he scored was at Wembley in the semi-final for Spurs when he drove, when he was already crippled um, free kick. and went free kick rifle in. And of course the wonderful goal when he, when he decided he was Marilyn Monroe with his dyed blonde hair and did the Monroe wiggle at Wembley when I was actually in the stand for the Chronicle when against Scotland and Seaman had just saved a penalty to make it 1-1 and he went down and took the mick out of I suppose this, uh, the celebration so oh, it sums up sums up Gaza in a way that's what we're talking about about the fun of the man um, he'd just been involved in the dentist chairs you know in Hong Kong uh, with Venables just before you uh, you were 96 inevitably he was the one in the in the dentist chair that was photographed giving it the 16 hour 10 um, now a lot of footballers would be destroyed and decimated and hide away after something like that and hope the public forgot about it happening and all that. Gaza's reaction to um, doing anything that was naughty or mischievous or anything was just to be so upfront and in your face it's untrue. And I talked to Shearer about it afterwards because he was in that team against Scotland and, and Gaza had said look I'm going to score, I'm going to score in this game and when I do I'm going to run down the goal and go full length on the pitch with my mouth open. I want you lads to get the, the water bottles which are behind the goal and spray it in because that's what happened to him when he was in the dentistry. And sure enough, there we were with, with all that. I mean, any other player would have just sort of put one hand in the end, sheepishly run away and, and hoped that the pundits thought, well, you've redeemed yourself for the chair, not gathering. Uh, but Gaza was loved for that by his teammates, by his managers. His managers, from Bobby Robson to Terry Venables, his England managers, put up with whatever they had to put up with because they knew they had a genius on their hands. And do you want Gaza playing the way he can but being a buffoon or do you not want the buffoon and have a regimented side? Do you think they were hand in hand? You had to have Gaza as a free spirit off the pitch? To get the talent that he had on the pitch. Oh, if you tried to curb Gaza in any way whatsoever, you would never get the talent on the pitch because he had to be. He was hyper. He couldn't. He was. I say like a balloon. You would love to take the air out of him sometimes and just say settle down. Uh, you know, there's sometimes because you knew Gaza wouldn't stop. You had to leave the room to get a break from from because he was 100 miles an hour. I'm talking in the past tense here because I'm recalling him as a player. Today, he is still the loveliest man you could ever wish to meet, but he has had his own problems to fight and has become a slightly different and not so hyper person as a consequence of that. But as a player, when these problems hadn't really come upon him, he was an unbelievable character and you can't take that away from him. Do that and you've destroyed the player. Do you think when he was at Newcastle he realised just how much that the crowd loved him? I think he realised what a good player he was 
he, he adored Newcastle United. He was a Newcastle United fan. I don't know that it ever dawned on him, you know, how much the Newcastle fans loved him or didn't, because he was the young lad, and therefore he was very much the third in the in the line of succession after Beardsley and Waddle, because he was slightly younger than them. They played together uh, for England, etc. But they were taking a lot of the adulation, and of course they, they would just come out of the Kevin Keegan days where Kevin just took this city by the scruff of the neck as a player over two years and changed everything. So I always think he, he played rather in the shadow of the Keegan and what Keegan had been and Waddle and Beardsley of the great three musketeers, and therefore didn't quite no, I think what he realised much more was his love of Newcastle United rather than the other way around. But of course he was the, the last of the, uh, to be transferred of the three. And if you're sitting there as a kid and you see the club willing to sell Waddle and Beardsley, what are you going to stick around for? Do you think Spurs is the right move? I know we have, there's a lot of people always say we've gone maybe join Manchester United and Alex Ferguson things even in his personal life, personal life, might have turned out differently. With with hindsight, and hindsight's always a wonderful thing, but with hindsight, I, know, I think it wasn't the best move. I think he went to a terrific manager, Terry Venables, who loved him to death. That was probably a problem, because in the way that George Best wasn't handled too well by Matt Busby, Matt Busby loved George Best so much, he allowed him to do anything he liked, off the park. On the park, of course, allowed him to do anything he likes, but off the park. And he didn't have that discipline and didn't get a hold of Bestie. Venables was not quite in the awe that way, but he loved Gaza and he didn't really get a grip of Gaza. Um, certainly, if he'd gone and played for Ferguson, it would have been a different ball game. And uh, he wouldn't have been in London. That was a huge problem in being in London because all the lovies, all the showbiz people, all the, the people that were going to be leeches are in London, so they were there ready to, to get a hold of them. That wouldn't have happened in Manchester. First, knew how to keep a grip of young players, but yet manipulate them in where they did love them, is, well, respect them, certainly. Done it with Ryan Giggs and, and could have done it with Gascoigne. With hindsight, I think it was the wrong move and the Man United would have been a much better move and that's regardless of what he would have won with Man United as opposed to, to Spurs of course. And off to Lazio, um, yeah. you, you went out and stayed with them for a bit, I mean how was that experience? Oh, one off, terrific, um, I've still got Lazio shirts that he signed while I was out there to me, give oh thanks for everything, bloody blah. Um, I was covering England at the time for the Chronicle as well as Newcastle United and um, and the Olympic Games and Gaza was injured at the time if you remember when he went to Lazio it was after the bad Spurs injury Lazio had already done the deal to sign him when he was 100% fit then he got the very bad injury they didn't pull out the deal they said we'll still take him he'll recover but very early when he was recovering from that injury couldn't play for England either, but England always brought him across for the games. A, they wanted to keep him part of, the, to feel part of the squad, and B, what he gave the dressing room in the in the hotel, because of his laugh a minute, was invaluable. So he'd agreed that I could go with the idea was to do a Jordi in the Dolce Vita. Uh, 
especially when they in the Dulcery, they're not the one in Newcastle. It was a nightclub when I was here, but but whoa, and um, and it was a good story, obviously. Um, he agreed that I could do it, so I booked on a flight after England match on a Wednesday night to go out on the Thursday morning to Rome, stay with him until the Saturday, stay out there with his permission until the Saturday. He was actually on the same plane as me flying back to Rome when, when we got on the plane T4. It wasn't expected to be that way. Changed seats so he sat with me. By the time the flight had touched down in Rome, he decided I was cancelling my hotel and moving into his house to live with him for the time I was out there. As it happened, I was flying back on the Saturday morning, getting picked up at the airport, going straight to Gateshead Red Home on Saturday afternoon. Now I owned Gateshead at the time, going straight to the match. Never made it, never made this at the moment. By the Friday night, he'd asked, he'd persuaded me to stay on. He paid, he cancelled my flights, rather than the Chronicle, he paid for the new flights to get me home later, um, so I could stay, go to the, the match against Napoli with him on the Sunday, and stay a few extra, extra days with him. I stayed in his in his villa just outside of Rome. Uh, at that time, he was absolutely obsessed with Harley Davidson motorbikes. He had about four or five of them out in Rome. I told him, in no way can you drive your Harley Davidson's mind because you're yeah, coming back from an injury, you've invested a lot of money. Perfectly all right, says because I wouldn't dream of it, etc. etc. So, what did he do? I went to train with him because I lived with him the whole day to get the atmosphere. So, what did he do in the morning? He got on his Harley Davidson bike, he had a German World War II helmet, which, which he wore on the bike. His dad was in the 4x4 behind him. I went in the 4x4 as well and we followed him on the way out on the motorway down into Rome and to the training ground. He would he would weave in and out of the traffic because it was bumper to bumper. It was a morning they were going into work. We couldn't the 4x4 and he's giving you the Churchill salute with two fingers from the back of his German helmet and all the nonsense. He pulls in a garage right at the end of the motorway just before you go round to um, to the training ground, pulls in the garage, jumps off the bike, takes his, his helmet off, sticks it on the bike, jumps in the car with us, round the corner, 50 yards, into the training ground, sitting in a 4x4, signing autographs, smiling. Same on the way back. He's on the on the bike, we are following, go down the country lane eventually down to his villa. He's showing off, he's got electronic gates and he's got the dufer and he's on his bike and the, the gates swing open. There's this huge long drive up to the house. He drives in on his on his Holly Davis and up the long driveway and the four by four following. The patio doors are open. He drives straight through the patio doors on his Holly Davison onto a sheepskin rug which is in front of the fire, parks the Harley Davidson there, jumps off it, switches the video on, Elvis Presley videos on, sits, jumps in an armchair, he's still got his World War II helmet on, and watching Elvis doing one of the concerts from Vegas. Uh, mad as a hatter, but you've got to love him. You've got to love him to death. Um, infectious and Everybody out there. The amazing thing is that I was staggered because, as I say, he couldn't speak English. But he, never mind that. But he could speak pidgin Italian, and he spoke to the kids that ran around. They used to be Lazio had their restaurants that they went to, and Roma had their restaurants, and never the two should mix. And in the Lazio restaurants, 
spoke to the kids, the fans and everything, in pig, albeit pigeon Italian, but he'd only been there a few months. And KK had said, this guy's got to learn Italian because when I went to Hamburg, I went to lessons to learn German to be accepted. But hey, bless him, did he go to school when he was in Dunstan? Yes, he did, but uh, it wasn't high on his priorities. Yet he could speak pigeon Italian, picked it up very quickly. When Keegan took over and you know, Newcastle were going for the Premier League, obviously signed Shearer, brilliant team, David Ginola, Keith Gillespie. Oh. Was there a chance that Gascoigne could be next to the door? I, I don't think it ever that ever really took off as a possibility um, for various reasons. A lot of them injury and let's be truthful, a lot of them might have been baggage and lifestyle because KK knew what he got with with Gasser. Um never never really happened but when you think of that entertainer's side and uh, Sir John Hall providing the money and KK spending it and but spending it ever so wisely I mean they, they, Newcastle's record transfer fee was broken almost by the month up to a world record 15 million for Shearer um, and if you think of the possibility, I mean, Beardsley was part of that side, uh, certainly early, early doors, part of the entertainers. And if you think Waddle for that matter, but it would have been made for Gascoigne in midfield. It would have been, that side would have been made for Gascoigne. And in lots of ways, it would have been the ultimate sort of climax of his career to come back to Newcastle as a world superstar, rather than as the, the young boy of potential, which is what he was when he was here. On to his England squad, obviously, we'll, we'll talk about uh, mm. 1990. Um, I mean, that was really the moment that the nation fell in love with him. Without a shadow of doubt. I mean, how important was he to that, to that Sir Boy Robson team? Totally and utterly important. He was the young pretender for the throne, he, but he was the young guy in the setup. He was impetuous and... Bobby Robson, who I, I, I talked with an awful lot afterwards about it, and he famously called him Daft as a Bush, which stuck, uh, but he loved him. And he put up with him. Round the hotel, he was an absolute pain. He, I mean, he, one o'clock, he couldn't sleep, uh, which made him an absolute nightmare, because he would just knock on people's doors and come in and sit on the end of the bed. He opened the door, he just barged past his sit on the end of the bed and start talking to me and, and phoning up to get some chips sent up. I mean, absolute nightmare. And Bobby said, he found, he saw him one day, he heard a noise outside Bobby when he was in the room outside, he opened up his window and looked out and there's a floodlit tennis court and it's, it's up past midnight and Gaza's playing tennis on the tennis court. I persuaded the mate to go out with him because he couldn't sleep. And he's playing tennis. And this is while they wait at the World Cup. Where's the nerves? Where's he? I mean, you know, you're not a full show. Um, but so infectious. And he put up because he knew what he meant. Um, but that fragility was never far away. It was always just bubbling under the surface. And if you remember, famously in the, sem in the semi-final, when he, and I think you mentioned it before, Andrew, when he got booked and it was obvious he was going to miss the final if England made the final. I mean, he broke to tears. Uh, and the, the famous thing where Lenneker turned to the bench and sort of put his finger to his head and sort of said, keep an eye on this guy, he's gone. Um, because, and he had gone and he couldn't take a penalty. Uh, 
afterwards and out we went. Um, but he came back and if you remember, the, the coach from Heathrow were all, I mean everybody went crackers, the, the fans and everything, and he wore a pair of huge plastic women's breasts on the top of the coach waving at the punters and everything I've been mean, so slapstick so untrue but he could get away with things that nobody else would have got to get away with because he was a natural player that's U96 another good tournament for, for England on home soil I mean the goal against Scotland we've oh. talked about it absolutely brilliant goal keep your composure after you flipped it over incredible incredible it, and this was at the start of Gaza going slightly downhill uh, professionally. Um, his lifestyle didn't help, uh, long elevity, and, uh, but he was slightly going over the top at that stage. But he always had the ability. The, the great tragedy with me following England, which I had done since '66, and I saw them win the World Cup. Yes, they ought to have if retained the World Cup in 1990 in Mexico because they were great. But the, the sides after that, with Gascoigne and Shearer, they could have easily won Italia 90, and they certainly ought to have won 90, Euro 96, uh, which was when Gaza scored this famous goal against um, against Scotland. And, they, uh, and he took Colin Henry out, as you know, um, you know, flipping it over his head, come over the other side, knocked it in late. The amazing thing is, you've got to remember, if, if I'm right in from memory, I think I am, he was playing for Glasgow Rangers in Scotland at that time. Uh, so for him playing up in Scotland to take the mick out of the jocks at Wembley was so far up his street. And I think the, the goalkeeper uh, that he beat, I think, was it Andy Gorman? Was he playing in Scotland at the time? And, uh, so there was this real sort of thing, which you would better Gaza doing that because his mind. Maybe his limbs got battered, as all great players' limbs are, because that's the only way a lot of people can stop them. Maybe his limbs got battered, and maybe his inside got battered by Stella Artois, uh, but the memory doesn't, and he still knew the great tricks and was capable of hitting some high spots as his career slowly, uh, as all footballers' careers must, uh, but that was a wonderful moment. Missing out on the World Cup squad in 98. Oh. I mean, how bad did that affect Gaza? It wasn't the start of the downward slide, but it, it, it almost confirmed it. Um, and it hit him hard, because I think if you're a genius and if you're, you're living close to the edge, you become the last person to know that, you know, the bell's ringing and you've got to now pay the bill. I think you're the last person to to realise when that happens and, and, and that happened to him, it was Glenn Hoddle and, and he lost it, as, as you well know, he lost it and sort of rampaged around the hotel and that, and because he was in tears, because he didn't know how to handle the fact that great moments which used to just happen to him automatically. Uh, were now not going to happen to him. And um, I think one of the problems for Paul in life generally is that all of a sudden when he couldn't play football anymore, he woke up one morning and didn't know what to do 
didn't know what it could do. Uh, there was adulation uh, because he was still had been this great player, but his reason for getting up in the morning had gone, uh, and all of a sudden he had this void that wasn't being filled uh, because he was never going to become a coach or he was never going to become a manager. That wasn't part of his makeup. Um, so there was this huge void which was called the rest of his life. And it, it was very tough for him to handle. And obviously we all know about the problems he's had personally, uh, yeah. the alcohol battles. Um, but the past the past 12 months, um, he seems to be back on his feet. He's active on social media. Obviously the past few months he's had a tough time with his, his dad sadly passing away. Absolutely. But he generally does seem to be in a much better place than he has been for, for many years. Yes, uh, and pray God that that continues and even gets better if that, than it is, if that's possible. Uh, I mean, I must admit, because I, I love the man so dearly, that I went through a period a few years back where I was scared to pick up the papers in the morning or pick up the answer machine with four messages on it and listen to them in case there was a message about Gaza. Um, because we went through a period where, you know, that almost seemed an inevitability. Um, and he was being hounded around that period down on the south coast living in pool and uh, getting hounded uh, it seemed the man and his wife wanted to be at part of his downfall uh, horrendous horrendous time and while yes it could be argued that he, a lot of it was self-inflicted uh, and it was, we've got to be truthful, but that doesn't stop you loving a man that gives so much enjoyment to so many people and hoping that he was just allowed to enjoy the rest of his life. He does seem to have picked up significantly. That's a wonderful thing to see. As I say, long may it continue. I'm due to do a, a dinner with him up here, I think it's around September time. Steve Wraith, who's a very good friend of both of us, is, is putting it on and I'm going to do um, the stage with Gaza. Uh, that's something I hugely look forward to. He'll pack the place. He's still got that charisma, there's no question about that. Uh, and I hope that he has retained his fitness and is able to go along. Um, because it's amazing, it's almost like when he goes on stage, it's almost like he's back playing football. The light goes on in his brain and the room lights up and for an hour he's back on the football field and he's living the life and he's recalling the stories and he's getting the adulation he feels from the audience and that is so important to him. And he's still a young man, we, we forget in terms of life, not in terms of football. Um, and I think the pleasure he gave to so many people, he deserves a little bit of pleasure himself. Obviously, you see your good friends with him, you spoke with him recently. I mean, has he told you what he thinks about the current Newcastle United team, what he thinks about Rafa Benitez? I mean, how, how, what yeah. was the last time you spoke to him? Yeah, he, he's, he's still a Newcastle United fan at all. He's a football fan, but he's a Newcastle United fan because at the end of the day, he's a jury and this is his club. Um, he knows how tough it is for Newcastle. He's a great Gaza, he's a great sorry Rafa guy. Uh, he believes the greatest hope we've got is that we've got Rafa and that we must hang on to Rafa. He's rather um, uh, 
pleased and sees as a plus what some of us might see as a minus, which is that the Newcastle United team is so young that we get concerned, uh, the squad, mm. we get concerned about it sometimes in terms of is there enough experience uh, there to keep Newcastle afloat in the Premier League, etc, etc, because Oh, I mean, they should have a crash in, in the dugout. I mean, who's older than 25? About four of them, and that's about that's it. Right, yeah. uh, you know, the, I mean, we've got the youngest squad in the Premier League and the youngest skipper in the Premier League. Um, but having been a Ben brought up himself at Newcastle United as, as a young player who was full of cockiness, and he rather loves that, and he's rather got hope that a few of these youngsters are going to blossom and become top, top players in the way he does and he did. And I'm not certain we've got players of his ability in our ranks at the moment, but I know where he's coming from. And he, he believes that if Rafa can keep going, if the young players can mature and are allowed to, and that there isn't interference from above, and we all know what we mean about that, um, Preferably that the owner decides he is not the owner and actually does something about it as opposed to to one top dollar. Then the future of Newcastle is very good. And um, even though with all the knocks he's, he's had, he's an optimistic guy by nature and he's optimistic about Newcastle United. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to like, subscribe and share the podcast whether that be through iTunes, Audio Boom, Spotify, or whichever platform you may be listening through. And if you want to get involved with the podcast, you can do so via our social media channels. We're over on Twitter at Chronicle NUFC and on Facebook at the same handle, Chronicle NUFC. We want your questions, your topics, your feedback. So why don't you drop us a line and get in touch? Bij Burger King gebeuren spannende dingen. Wat dacht je van een classic cheeseburger, chicken nuggets burger of sundae voor maar 1 euro per stuk? En dat is nog niet alles. Alle King deals zijn maar 1 euro. Haal ze nu alleen bij Burger King.